1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Block Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The
0: aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profit from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seeds. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the food that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered food. Americans have a right to know if their food
1: is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. The Garden of Eden for Sale. A fitting title for not only tonight's show, but for what is going on in the biotech industry today, which began almost two full decades ago now. Biotech corporations laying claim to the building blocks of life, manipulating, patenting, and then selling it like property only to turn around and enforce their ownership to the injustice and peril of farmers in the U.S., but also nations around the world, and, of course, consumers everywhere. Whatever your spiritual beliefs, and however you define it, literally or figuratively, the Garden of Eden represents a beginning and a natural purity of life. It is everything around us and everything that is a part of us. Whether by divine or natural influence, Eden, this world, our world, is our cradle and it is by design an instrument of precision and so are our bodies the cells of the same natural food sources that have sustained us for thousands of years work in harmony with the cells inside us all eden is everywhere and we are a part of it it is where the story of mankind begins not where biotech corporations begin yet the great irony is that these money-making corporations have managed to create a climate where the preposterous idea of altering owning and selling life itself through patent laws is a perfectly legal and acceptable practice. Playing God has become the norm, justifying this ownership of life as if they themselves are the originators of it. And before I move on, I just want you to hear a clip from scientist and ecologist Vandana Shiva where she aptly hits on this very, very important concept. Have a listen.
0: Furniture shufflers are not treated as architects and owners of buildings. But gene shufflers were given the status of being inventors and creators of life. And there was no clear idea of where genetically engineered organisms would develop but the industry knew that they had to do this to take patents because now they could claim they had made something new by changing one gene. The interesting thing is in these 25 years of debate when it comes to safety the same industry says This is safe. It's exactly like nature made it. No difference, substantially equivalent. And when it comes to owning and privatizing life, it's made for the first time. We are the inventors and the creators.
1: The GM biotech industry wants to lay claim to the creation and ownership of life itself. They want to own and control the genetic blueprints to all existing food sources around the globe. And they have not only publicly claimed this, but have actively pursued it as evidenced by their actions in the media, legal systems, and agriculture markets worldwide. Now, just last month, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments on whether patent law extends to the offspring of GM seed, as well as self-replicating technologies. And the case centers around Monsanto and a 75-year-old Indiana farmer, Hugh Bowman, who bought and planted soybean seeds from a grain elevator that sold them for animal feed and other purposes. Well, it turned out that the elevator contained a lot of second-generation Monsanto seed, which was harvested by other farmers. And the way the system works now is that farmers who plant Monsanto soybeans have to sign an agreement saying they will not save the second-generation seeds to use them for the next harvest. Well, Bowman did not replant his own Monsanto seeds, but he did plant somebody else's second-generation Monsanto seeds. So, according to Monsanto, buying that grain and planting it to grow more soybeans was a patent violation. And they argued that their patent on the GM genes within the original seed was violated when Bowman planted and replicated the offspring of that seed. Monsanto wants farmers to pay a royalty for any crop that is descended from a patented original. Bowman argued that farmers who purchase seed not only have a right to the crop from the original seed, but also that crop's ability to self-replicate. In other words, after buying from Monsanto, farmers should be entitled to second- and third-generation seed for use in planting crops in subsequent seasons. This case has gained attention not only because of the implications for self-replicating technologies, but also because of the many philosophical questions it brings up. For example, GM genes through their living host, can self-replicate, and so what that means is that GM plants and animals can self-replicate. And so the question, where does a natural life process end and technology begin? Because genes have been shuffled around to create a new GM species, it is now ownable and considered property. If someone purchases a self-replicating technology, does he or she have rights to the technology's power to self-replicate? Do they control life itself? Self-replication is a natural process for the continuation and propagation of life itself and what's more, when one species participates in the replication of another species, say like when a honeybee pollinates a flower or someone plants their favorite vegetable in a garden, it's said that these things co-evolve. This power to self-replicate and co-evolve is an inherent quality, yet this is being questioned by the interpreters of our laws and exploited by agribusiness corporations like Monsanto. So what this means is if Monsanto owns Generation 1, which it sells to a farmer to plant, and then the farmer owns Generation 2 and reaps the rewards or shortcomings of the crop, who owns Generation 3? Monsanto asserts that they do. In this case, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer argued that farmers buying Monsanto seed have rights to the crop of the original seed, but these rights do not include the right to plant a second generation to make a third, and Monsanto's attorneys echoed this by arguing, of course, that there would be no incentive for Monsanto to invest if farmers have the right to grow a third generation. But Bowman's attorney pointed out a distinction, a very important distinction, between self-replicating seed and self-replicating technologies. Bowman's attorney said, quote, This is not like software. GM seed is an invention where the only way to use the invention is to plant it and to grow more seeds. Hence, if farmers are not able to plant the second generation, their right to use the very invention they bought is denied. End quote. Now, as the Justices review the merits of each side's arguments in this landmark case, they will also hear from a range of interest groups who have filed briefs in support of either the soy farmer or Monsanto. As an interesting side note, nearly two dozen organizations have already filed briefs, including arguments from the University of California, University of Missouri, University of Kansas, Duke University, and a range of other public and private universities, all in staunch support of Monsanto's position. In previous shows, I've talked about some of the hidden beneficiaries in the biotech industry, with research universities being some of the big ones. Well, here's just more proof. Universities that only a few weeks ago submitted briefs to the Supreme Court on behalf of Monsanto are the very same ones, active in patenting and licensing of technology. So, there's a really keen interest for them in the outcome. Let's talk about the University of California one of the nation's primary public research institutions, which brings in about $100 million each year from what are called technology transfers. This is basically the selling of its research to companies that hope to commercialize it. So the loosening of patent protections, which is essentially what Farmer Bowman is arguing for, would negatively impact the sizable funding and profit for these institutions. Andrew Kimbrell, director of the Center for Food Safety, says, quote, This is a case of money talks. That is what this is about. All of those amicus briefs are essentially saying to the Supreme Court that the economic sky will fall if you don't allow this patent stranglehold to continue. The universities are financially invested in the status quo, end quote. So if the court rules that Monsanto owns Generation 3 and consequently controls Generation 2's power to self-replicate, this will mean a significant victory for Monsanto in further sealing the deal against dependent farmers, the court will present a decision by this June 2013, but very unfortunately, based on the Supreme Court's questions and comments during the hearing, it appears that they are already leaning toward Monsanto. Chief Justice John G. Roberts, Jr. commented, Why in the world would anybody spend any money to try to improve the seed if as soon as they sold the first one, anybody could grow more and have as many of those seeds as they want? End quote. This statement clearly shows where the court is coming from, a point of view geared toward what is fair to business, not what is fair to life and the people. The Chief Justice also assumes that Monsanto is improving seeds. No, they are not improving them. They are altering them to withstand the chemicals they also sell to make more profit. It is appallingly obvious what is going on here. But it should be no surprise to us that even a U.S. Supreme Court justice would make statements like this, because corporations like Monsanto, with their political and monetary clout, continue to have profound control and influence in all branches of government, from lawmakers to law enforcers. And I want to point out, understand that what we've talked about in previous shows is Monsanto's desire to own all the seed in the world. But what we're talking about now is something different. Not only do they want all the seed, but they want to own all self-replicating process to that seed. They want to own life, but now they also want to own the process of creation to that life. Understand what that means. So what are the implications here? What will it mean if the court rules in favor of Monsanto? Well, it will have huge implications not only on what is patentable and for how long, but also on the question of who ultimately controls our food supply. Expanding the definition of these biotech patents to include self-replicating processes will open the door for seed corporations to not only introduce more varieties of GM products, but it will also allow them to exert even more control and authority as they legally enforce their rights against those infringing on the broadened patent laws. Well, confidence in the Supreme Court making a decision in favor of the American farmer, it doesn't look so good if we consider what happened just days ago with President Obama signing into law the H.R. 933 spending bill, and that was despite over 250,000 signatures opposing it. It seems clear that our government is in strong support of Monsanto. We already know that, just like we know all about the revolving door of employees going back and forth to high-level positions between Monsanto and government officials. This provision essentially removes the federal court's authority to halt the planting and selling of genetically modified crops, no matter what health issues may arise in the future. And we have to ask, who is really benefiting here? Well, the answer to that might be clear if we knew that the provision's language was apparently written in collusion with Monsanto. That's right. Monsanto wrote language in the bill which was passed by Congress and signed by the President. Can there be a bigger conflict of interest? This provision is now aptly called the Monsanto Protection Act, and is just another example of corporations using Congress to shape laws that benefit them, despite any health risks to the public. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Monsanto is running unchecked on a whole lot of levels. Now back to the Garden of Eden, our Garden of Life. The garden that either by divine or natural influence nourishes and sustains us through a complex network of precise design that until recently has evolved at its own pace and by its own necessity, untouched and untampered by mankind and its DNA-manipulating technology. Life was life long before our first microscope was ever invented. We did not own it then, and we do not own it now. Not too long ago, people appreciated the natural foundations of life and marveled at its mystery, complexity, and profound ability to thrive, renew, and even die for the old to make way for the new. They appreciated life because they had to fight for it. Everyday survival and sustenance was a key focus. We understood that we did not, and perhaps were not meant to, control life. We just lived it the best we could and depended and trusted in nature to help sustain us in doing just that for as long as possible. In the last 50 years, at least in Western culture, our society has redefined life. We are now creatures of comfort, addicted to technology in almost every capacity. We have designed our lives to limit the need for us to even get up and out of our chairs, whether that be at the office or home on the couch. We consume what we want, when we want, and as much as we want. There has been a shift, and the biotech industry is the perfect example of just how profound that shift has been. While life was once, and for almost the entire history of mankind, revered as something to work hard for and learn to adapt in the surviving of it, life has become a commodity, a tinker toy set to shuffle and rearrange by the scientific elite, to test, to play with, to manipulate into something that will serve either our comforts, our desires, or our egos life has been reduced to an opportunistic fixation on how to sell it. Think about that. Monsanto's heavy-duty pesticides are killing our bees, dying at alarming rates by colony collapse disorder. Rather than correcting their part in the problem, which is reasonable, the solution is instead to genetically modify the bees to suit the hazardous conditions these pesticides have created. They want to change the DNA of bees, re-architect the blueprints, that have been in place for thousands of years. That is how life is looked at now, through the lens of a lab and the pride of profit. As something we define, we conform, and we create. Who do you trust? Fifty years of controversial science and scientists, politicians, and corporate giants raking in more profit than their accountants can count? Or do you trust natural life and process, speaking through thousands of years of evolution on this planet. I place my life in the natural, not in the manipulations of DNA. And what is the price we pay? What is the human cost? Well, that would take several more shows to discuss and answer, but I do want to talk about one specific and horrific area on tonight's show. As we have come to know, this arrogant claim to inventing, owning, and selling life Has manifested itself worldwide for example in developing countries like India Monsanto has systematically exploited the simple farmers of the land robbing them of their rights property and livelihoods this has caused major disruption in the culture but has been unbelievably justified and enforced by patent laws and business contracts to put this all in perspective it is estimated that more than a quarter of a million Indian farmers have committed suicide in the last 16 years. That is over 250,000 people. This is the largest wave of recorded suicides in human history. In 2009 alone, almost 18,000 farmers killed themselves. That's about one every 30 minutes. These are shocking numbers, but they seriously underestimate the actual number of farmer suicides taking place. And women, for example, are often excluded from these statistics because most of them do not have ownership titles to land. About 60% of India's population is involved with agriculture in one way or another. And through the years, there has been a great shift to grow cash crops like cotton due to the allure of making more money and the hope for a better life. But it is ironically this shift that placed the Indian farmer in a vulnerable position and opened them up to exploitation by companies like Monsanto. The cotton industry, like other cash crops in India, has been dominated by Monsanto, who presently control over 95% of the cotton seed crops there. So how did this happen? Well, it all started when the World Bank required the government of India to deregulate their seed sector. And in the mid-1990s, Monsanto capitalized on this by introducing its genetically modified BT cotton seeds, locking in joint ventures and licensing agreements with Indian companies and promising incredible yields and profits for farmers and enticing them into contracts. This gave them access to farmable land. While the yields promised by Monsanto did not actually happen, the yields were much less And although for centuries seed had been a common resource for any farmer, over the span of just two decades or so, it gradually became the intellectual property of Monsanto. Predictably, as they acquired more control, they started collecting royalties and raising costs. We're talking increases of as high as 8,000%. 8,000! And adding to this, the cross-contamination of Monsanto's GM seed worked to displace naturally grown crops a convenient benefit and calculated strategy used to this day. It is insidious, but they were able to legally lay claim to all cotton crops contaminated with their GM seed through existing patent laws. This forced Indian farmers into compliance, a common practice used by Monsanto, which has repeatedly been done to American farmers and others around the world as well. By this process, Monsanto has placed farmers in a vicious cycle of dependence to where they must borrow more and more money in order to pay increasing debts, eventually losing their land, some of which has been farmed by families for centuries. It is this shark-like business practice that is attributed to the steady number of farmer suicides seen in India. Vandana Shiva sums it up pretty well in this clip. Have a listen.
0: If a company like Monsanto wants to turn the farmer's self-reliance of seed, into a dependency of purchased seed. How does it do it? It first tells the farmer your seed is primitive. Give it up, they call it seed replacement as if it's something very fancy. Even pay the farmer to say give up your old seed. Farmer thinks my neighbor will have it, so if they're giving me money, it's all right. But they don't realize they've been to everyone in a hundred villages in the neighborhood, so there's no seed in one season. Around the world, Monsanto influences public sector research breeding. It then also starts to lock in companies and buy them up. So, all Indian seed companies in cotton are owned by Monsanto or controlled by them through licensing arrangements. So, there were only three sources of seed supply the farmer themselves, some small private companies, and the public sector. All three get knocked out. Before you know it, Monsanto is the only one selling only BT cotton. It's too costly. After all, Monsanto has increased the price of seed by 8,000%. No farmer would. Have the capacity to pay 8,000% more. So the agents of the company are there to say, Don't worry, you'll be a millionaire. This will produce 1,500 kilograms per acre and uh, you'll pay back in no time. Take it on credit against your land. And the farmer signs a piece of paper mortgaging the land. But the seed doesn't give 1,500, it gives 400, 500. More often than not, it also fails. So you have to buy it three times over on credit. In a year or two, the agents of the seed and chemical companies come knocking on the door of the farmer to say, your land is now mine, you couldn't pay back your debts. And that's the day the farmer will go into the field, drink a bottle of pesticide, and end his life.
1: Is it any wonder why we've seen so many farmer suicides in India? We also have to keep in mind that Monsanto has exploited the Uyghur economy there, as well as the lower education levels found in Indian farming communities, exploitation for the sake of profit, human life in exchange for profit. Yet all this is obscured by PR campaigns and false reports generated to fool the public. It truly is disgusting. B.T. Cotton was hailed as one of the industry's biggest success stories with greater yields and viability. They took pictures of smiling farmers and healthy-looking crops, along with alleged support statements from farming communities, all in an attempt to disassociate themselves with the suicide phenomenon. But just last year, these PR claims began to fall apart. As India government officials looked deeper into what was actually going on, they discovered that the cotton farmers were indeed in grave trouble, with the vast majority wanting a ban on GM cotton, quite the opposite of what Monsanto was claiming. But despite this outcry, a separate department in India's government, the Ministry of Agriculture, continues to make a case for GM crops, stating that the technology is absolutely needed for India's food security. Interesting, isn't it? a government agricultural agency, in favor of Monsanto. This should be no surprise to us. On one hand, it's another case in point of how Monsanto forces a climate of dependence on its products, to the point that reverting back to organic crops would be very expensive. And on the other hand, it's a repeat of the same thing that continues to happen in our own government. Officials in charge of shaping policy are paid to propagate Monsanto's interests, All this in the face of more than 150 scientists who signed off on a letter last month to the Indian Environment Minister protesting genetically modified crops in India. Monsanto's exploitation and control doesn't stop with India, though. Take South America, for example. In the late 1990s, Monsanto secretly used the farmlands of Argentina as an experimental base to test its GM seeds. It did this under the radar, without the approval of the Argentinian government or people, because regulations there were much more lax than in the U.S. During this time, they were able to hook local farmers into using the GM seeds along with Roundup chemicals, promising bountiful crop yields. Well, in the meantime, Monsanto began lobbying the Argentinian government, eventually persuading them to allow full-scale production of GM soy. Over the next several years, the political elite cashed in, but the country's farmers were left ultimately paying the price, mostly through serious health problems coinciding with the cultivation of the GM crops. The problem was that farmers were too poor to buy the gear necessary to protect against Monsanto's herbicide glyphosate, which must be used in greater and greater amounts to have the same effect. With repeated exposure to concentrated doses, farmers and their families were placed at serious risk. In fact, since the introduction of GM crops and the glyphosate that goes with them, there have been record levels of birth defects and cancer occurrences centered in regions of the country where GM crops are grown, a fact that Monsanto continues to deny. This is the same familiar story playing out over and over and over again in different cultures and countries. They knowingly spread their genetically modified seed wherever possible, infesting natural crops and then enforcing ownership over them, protected by patent laws. Well, introducing GM soy in Argentina was the mechanism through which Monsanto continued to spread into the rest of South America, pushing its seed illegally into Brazil, Bolivia, Uruguay, and Paraguay, countries where GM crops were prohibited at the time. In many cases, their leaders were routinely pressured, harassed, and even impeached from office. Take the case of Paraguay's former president, Fernando Lugo. He was against allowing GM crops to be grown in his country, but came against pressure and threats instigated by Monsanto. In 2012, he was officially impeached from office with the reason attributed to a relatively insignificant clash between a group of farmers and the police who were trying to evict them. It is believed by many in the Paraguay government that Monsanto used this as an opportunity to oust the reigning president so that Federico Franco, a known Monsanto supporter, could assume the office. This is, in fact, what ended up happening. Lugo was removed and Franco was put in. As soon as this happened, he overturned the laws and allowed GM crops into the country. Monsanto has shown that they are not beyond dirty tactics in pursuing their business aims monsanto is dangerous folks in every way from their ideology to their actions to their science they are sneaky and underhanded in the way they conduct business and they put consumer safety last they have consistently shown that deception and exploitation are acceptable means as long as their agenda is satisfied and their power is growing the garden of eden for sale is a relevant metaphor striking at the heart of the matter Monsanto has had the gall to shuffle genes around to claim they are the owners of life, as if they are God, the creators of something novel, the architects of life that is meaningful, and they have somehow convinced lawmakers to agree. They then have the audacity to claim ownership of life and then capitalize on the selling of it. That's like stealing an original Picasso painting, making a few swipes of a paintbrush on the canvas, and now claiming it's your own creation, which then entitles you as the new owner to sell it for your own profit. It's preposterous. Whatever our individual beliefs, divine or natural process, the fact remains, this earth and all its natural plant and animal species are here, and we are here, and we work together. We did not create the earth or anything living upon it, and though we are a part of it, And we have a greater understanding of it than at any other time in human history. That does not mean we can claim ownership of life. We did not own it then, and we do not own it now. So now we'll move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments. And to close each show of the program, I'll go through as many as I can. And Terry Macon writes into the show and says, Hi, I've been listening to your show for a few weeks now, and I find it all pretty interesting, especially when you spoke of the colony collapse disorder. Is that just affecting honeybees, or are other types of bees being affected? We have hummingbirds around our house, too, and I got to wondering if those could be harmed in some way by this new technology. Leave nature alone, scientists. Well, hi there, Terry. I appreciate your comments and for writing into the show. CCD is specific to honeybees, but other types of bees like bumblebees are affected by some of the same possible triggers, such as pesticide exposure and such. Um, They are actually suffering collapses of their own. As far as hummingbirds, they definitely help in the pollination of certain plants and flowers, but I haven't heard uh, of anything similar to colony collapse. Uh, I'd be interested to follow up uh, on that, though, if you hear anything, so please let me know if you ever do thanks for writing into the show and Sheila uh, Benditi I believe uh, writes into the show and says I know it's bad but is it really that bad I mean it sounds like the sky is falling when I hear people talking about GMO I try to be skeptical only because I don't want to fall into the trap of jumping on the wrong bandwagon you know what I mean well, hi, Sheila. Thanks for writing in. And yes, I do know exactly what you mean. Uh, we've got to be careful with the information we receive. Absolutely. I think part of the problem when we discuss GMO is it sounds so science fiction and it's hard to comprehend the level of deception going on in our own government and the protective agencies put in place to keep us safe. Uh, you know, it's tougher still because on both sides of the fence, there is opportunistic behavior. There are organic companies who are focused on profit as well, obviously, and and maybe aren't in the cause for the right reasons you know i think most are most are really passionate about it but you know we just we do have to be careful um so you know we just have to be diligent and sift through the information the best we can and decide what opinion uh we're going to to hold about it and and how we're going to proceed about that in our own lives and and sort of in the feeding of our of ourselves and our our families okay thanks for writing into the show and Mark Schanberg writes in and says, I love this show. Thank you for doing it. I haven't heard an approach quite like yours before. It's refreshing. I wanted to make a comment about how Congress people, Monsanto, and even the President choose to eat organic foods over the GM food the rest of us are forced to eat. I think it's wrong. Such a double standard can exist, especially when the ones benefiting by the sale of GM foods are most likely not the ones consuming them themselves. Pretty ironic. Hi, Marcus. thanks for your comment. I couldn't agree with you more. You know this notion has been going around for years now. The idea that the executives running these biotech corporations pushing genetically modified foods don't eat it themselves. you know Monsanto uh doesn't serve it to their employees the The president and his family only uh eat organic food from the garden uh you know I think uh the facts speak for themselves, so we should just sort of strive to do the right thing for ourselves and and our families and and uh uh, but I but I completely agree with you. It is it is very interesting. It's it's very ironic. Thanks for writing in the show. And with that, I've run out of time in this segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, just fill in the form and send me along your thoughts. I will feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that is where all change begins. So let's get talking. I also want to tell you about the new Facebook page for the series. If you're enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science, Genetic Crossroad. And I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, The Genetic Crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, April 9th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named "Flip Side of the Coin. With all the negative press about GMO, what about the other side? The organic food industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that is vying for consumer dollars as well. How reliable is the information coming from this camp? And what are the true motivations behind it? Whole Foods has purported to be the organic alternative for years, but recently have come under fire about some of their business practices. How can consumers trust the burgeoning organic industry? Are GMOs really getting a bad rap? I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW proof. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.